This is Play-By-Play Cast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play-by-play guys. For play-by-play guys, by I'm told, a play-by-play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now here's the host of Play-by-Play Cast, Todd Bodet. Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay, here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. 41 episodes of Play-By-Play Cast. We are back at it here on a Friday morning. My name is Joel Godet. Thanks, as always, for joining us on the podcast about Play-By-Play Guys for Play-By-Play Guys by a play-by-play guy. Thanks for clicking subscribe or download on iTunes or Stitcher or however you get your podcasts. I guess we'll we'll do the plugs right off the top here. If you enjoy the podcast, if this is the 41st time you've downloaded this podcast, uh, first off, thank you. Uh, second of all, you need something else to do. And, uh, and, and third of all, uh, give us a rating. Give us a review. Give us some feedback. Uh, let us know how things are going on the podcast, if you enjoy it, how you enjoy it, why you enjoy it, why you don't enjoy it, if that is the case, uh, and throw some stars and ratings and such our way. It helps us uh, with the podcasting algorithms, so we sincerely appreciate that. But maybe more important than that, if you enjoy the podcast and you follow us on Twitter, you can find us at PXPCast or myself. I'm at Joel Godet, J-O-E-L-G-O-D-E-T-T. Uh, retweet the podcast announcements. Um, the podcast uh, reveals, I guess, for lack of a better term, uh, or you know, interact with us on Twitter. Uh, let us know you're listening. Let other folks know you're listening. The best way for uh, the word to get around is is the endorsement of those that listen to it. So uh, I sincerely appreciate it. Uh, number one, that you're listening, but also uh, if in fact you do enjoy it, that you uh, you let others know you listen and enjoy it as well. That being said. Uh, our guest today is Tom Wormy, and he is. I, I thought about holding this one off until next week, but uh, I've been holding this one in the in the hopper for a while, and I and I wanted to put it out there. Uh, I was thinking about holding it for next week because Tom is an interesting guy because he does a lot of different things. Uh, two of which are he does PGA golf on the radio, which we have not had somebody that that does that yet. Uh, so there's a unique perspective in there and the masters is coming up. So, uh, that's applicable that way. And then Tom also does team stream broadcasts for the final four. He did Syracuse, his alma mater last year, and he did Duke the year before. And of course, final four coming up after this round of games, sweet 16 and elite eight. I'm doing this while watching Kansas, uh, leading Purdue at the under 12 here. Uh, so with that coming on the horizon, I figured maybe it would be good for Tom with the final four and, and, and the masters coming up. Uh, but I guess we'll give you your primer here. We'll get you get those juices flowing, give you your first taste of final four with our podcast here today. Uh, before we get to that, isn't this a great time to be a broadcaster? Can I just point that out real quick? I, I know we all love the NCAA tournament for, you know, the fact that it's college basketball and you can watch an endless amount of games. I just like flipping around and hearing different people. And I guess you can do that any time. I mean, you can put on ESPN and flip between announcers all the time. But it's just different. Uh, last week in particular, when it from 2 p.m. to 2 a.m., well, from 12 p.m. to 12 to, to 2 a.m., I'm just flipping around, listening to different people, and, and hearing the way that a lot of different guys at the highest of levels 
broadcast games. It was a lot of fun for me. Uh, the one moment, and I guess this speaks to my personality. I don't want to say the one moment, but one of the moments that really stuck with me. And I tweeted about this from the, uh, the, the PXP account on Twitter. Uh, Kevin Harlan dropped this, and it was so perfect last week. I had said in a Ball State basketball broadcast a couple of weeks ago, uh, Taylor Persons is Ball State's point guard, and at Toledo, he scored the first 17 points of the game, including banking in two threes. Not one, two of them. And when he had 17 in a row, including two banked-in threes, after one of the threes, I yelled something about him being really hot and on fire, and, and I said, you know, he hit it, and I said, oh, Taylor Persons, cash him outside. Like, he, like he, that's the hip thing nowadays, whatever. Um, Kevin Harlan dropped it so subtly last week. Somebody took a three from deep, and Harlan said, I forget who it was, and I don't even remember the team. He said, like, Johnson from deep outside. And the guy hit the shot, and the next words out of his mouth were, how about that? So you heard on the air, outside, how about that? And it was so priceless, because if you caught it, it's awesome. But if you didn't know what he was referencing, and didn't catch it, it just totally made sense in a play-by-play standpoint, uh, or from a play-by-play standpoint. And I thought that that was really well executed, and a really well-done way of kind of working pop culture in. A lot of times... And I'm guilty of this more often than not, to be totally blunt. We try to force some things in there like that. Um, that was so masterfully done by Kevin Harlan. I thought it was really cool. Uh, so I wanted to, to touch on that uh, right off the top here. Also doing this podcast today, I do have Kansas and Purdue on, but uh, I'm doing this podcast so late tonight because I was at work particularly late tonight. I left Ball State. At about 10.15, John Anderson from ESPN was on campus. Uh, came to campus as part of the David Letterman Sponsors a Lecture Series at Ball State. Letterman's alma mater, of course. Um, and uh, John Anderson was part of that. So he came and spoke today. And if you've never heard John Anderson speak, he is hilarious. And it comes across on television. But when he is in person, absolutely, I mean, ridiculous. In, in the way that he talks, I mean, first off, he, he's awesome, but hysterical. Uh, he, he said, and we've talked about things like this on the podcast, how different people get their starts and how they're not uh, replicable. John Anderson said the best career advice he could give you as far as breaking into a career is to move to a place where you have uh, infertile colleagues who need to go to Russia to adopt children. Uh, because and I did not know this. And I, and I just butchered it, by the way. When John did it, it was much funnier and much better. Uh, John got his first job on air when the weekend sports director at the station he was working at went to to Moscow to to adopt children and was gone for two months. And uh, John wound up being the, <laughs> the weekend sports anchor. So whenever anybody tells you there is no one path... That is never more true than with John Anderson, uh, which I thought was uh, both hilarious in the way that it happened and also the way that he told it that I just can't do justice. A couple other things that John brought up that I thought were interesting to share with you here. Number one, we talk a lot on this podcast about self-critique, 
So I asked John how much he watches himself back still today. He never watches himself back, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, some guys do a lot. He called out Bob Costas, basically as a guy who watches everything and wished Bob a happy 65th birthday this week. Happy birthday, Bob. Uh, but he said he never watches his stuff back because if he knew it was bad, he knew it was bad, and if he thought it was really good, he, he, didn't, he didn't want to ruin that impression on himself. Um, and, and I think this is the bigger thing for John, and I think there, there was some truth to that, and I think also some tongue-in-cheek there as well. But the biggest thing is he gets so many reps with what he's doing. He's on every single night. So if he had a bad one, it's really easy for him to go out the next night on a pretty big stage and a pretty big platform uh, to do something he feels better about, uh, which I just thought was an interesting approach. It's different than play-by-play. We do a game. You don't, sometimes you don't have a, another one for a week. Uh, he gets to go right back out there and do it, do it again the next night if things didn't go uh, the way that he wanted. One other thing I thought he, he said that was interesting, um, and this actually is something we, we've talked about on a previous podcast. Anish Shroff from ESPN dove into this with us. Um, sort of. Because Anish, when we talked about it, he, he reads a lot, and he reads non-sports-related things. And people always tell you in this industry to read. You want to read a lot. Broaden your horizons, read, expand your vocabulary by reading. John Anderson talked about writing. Constantly writing. Not just reading language, but applying language. And making words count by really truly understanding what they mean. Both in how you use them and how they impact other people. Not just what you're saying, but what somebody else is hearing. And I thought that was really interesting. Uh, he applied it into the political context uh, going on in the country right now, which I, I thought was really interesting as well. But he talked about writing. And he said, uh, and I don't, I'm going to butcher again the statistics on it. Um, people will spend three hours in front of a television, an hour on social media, and I think 19 minutes reading a day. Well, how much time do you actually spend physically sitting down writing? Not a check, not a report, but writing something, a journal, a diary. Uh, write a book to yourself, document something, but write and use language. I thought that was interesting from John Anderson as well. So uh, I wanted to share some of those tidbits with you. Um, but if you ever get the opportunity to see John Anderson speak, dude is downright hysterical. That said, we'll dive into our guest here today, and it is, as I said off the top, Tom Wormy, who does college basketball a lot for the ACC and the ACC Network and Raycom. Uh, he does PGA Network Radio, and he does the team stream for the Final Four each of the last two years, again, Syracuse last year, Duke the year before. We will get to all of those things, but where we started, I do believe that Tom Wormy is the first Hollywood actor <laughs> we have ever had on this podcast and I mean that partially tongue-in-cheek, but Tom also Tom legitimately does do some acting roles. And I thought that was different and interesting. Uh, the most notable of which, Tom Wormy has been on One Tree Hill. Yeah. So we start there on Play-By-Play Cast with Tom Wormy. Yeah, that was... Um, I do little bit parts every once in a while. But that was the very first thing I ever did, the very first audition I ever went on. I got hooked up with an agent here in near Winston-Salem, and he's like, go go down to Wilmington and read for this part. They want a real sportscaster. <laughs> and I was like, 
okay, whatever. So I drove three, four hours to Wilmington from here in Charlotte. I actually live in Fort Mill, but it's right near Charlotte, just south of, south of Charlotte in South Carolina. So I drove down and I'm in this room and there's all these people. They all know each other. They're all real actors. They're all dressed just like sports anchors. And then I went and read and I was, uh, luckily the, the character was supposed to be um, a little anxious and nervous because the teleprompter breaks down. I don't know if you, <laughs> see, you saw the scene or whatever, but so I was already feeling that way being, you know, a fish kind of out of water a little bit, <clears throat> excuse me. And so that's how I read it. And they all started laughing and they were like, wow, that was great. See you later. You know, whatever. And they called in, in about an hour. And so I was, that was it. They said, come back next week. We're going to shoot the scene. What's it like being so, on the, yeah. How's that all work? <laughs> well, the, the minutia and the excruciating detail that they go into for every little thing is the exact opposite of like the meatball surgery we do in a newsroom where you got an hour <laughs> to turn around a minute, 20 piece. So obviously I was like, guys, come on, let's go. And I had to get out of there. It's funny. Cause we shot all night and I had to get out of there because I had um, a track and field event to do for the big 10 network in Iowa. So I had to catch a flight. So I'm looking at my watch and I'm like, they're shooting cutaways. I'm like, you, you think I could just leave while you shoot the cutaways? This was somebody else who's over the shoulder shots of me, but I wasn't in the shot necessarily. And, uh, it was kind of like a point of view shot and they're like, yeah, sure. Go. So I, I mean, I just barely got back to Charlotte to get my flight to Cedar Rapids to do a track and field meet the next day. So that's the nature of freelance and, you know, kind of, yeah, you know, putting your line in many different ponds and see if anybody bites, that yeah, kind of thing. Where's the play-by-play guy? Well, James Vanderbeek couldn't get his line down, so he's going to be a little late. I could, yeah, it's like <laughs> he, it was actually it was uh, it was one of the not the, not one of the main characters per se, but he had his own storyline and he was trying to be a sports anchor. So that's where that all he worked at the television station, and so I worked with that guy. What is like? What do people think when you you tell them? And you, you can go into stories of having acted and stuff, because I don't think that's your only your only spot, is it? No, I've done probably, I don't know, eight or ten different shows, and I just did a movie. Um, I shot it about a year and a half ago, but it just came out. Um, it was Zach Galifianakis' movie that, that aired. It wasn't a great movie or anything, but... I mean, if it's, uh, if it's Zach, it's got to be... I don't, offer, I don't <laughs> offer the information. When people find out, they... they it's hard to put two and two together. And honestly, the thing was when I was doing, I did a show in Atlanta called necessary roughness and they wanted a real sports person. So I did worked on that show five or six times and I worked on Homeland and uh, Banshee because they were all shooting around Charlotte. If the the first few seasons of Homeland, they made Charlotte look like Washington, DC. So they were all here looking for people, you know, to do little bit parts. So I auditioned four or five times and didn't never got it. And I was like, well, I got to get it eventually. <laughs> and I did. I sure enough, I did. So I did a quick thing for Homeland and I was a foreign correspondent, you know, like in a war torn country. And we just shot a green screen here in Charlotte. That's kind of cool, actually. So it's all, yeah, it's yeah, all being, it's, it's being news guys, sports guys, TV, you're, you're, you're basically always, playing yourself. Yeah, it's always, nah, I'm not like, you know, a waiter or a secretary <laughs> or something. It's always reporter number three or foreign correspondent or, you know, what, 
news anchor. So, so here's my question: How hard is it to be? Yeah. How hard is it to be yourself uh, on film? Like, do they it's, like do they direct you differently? Difficult, because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they want it their way, you know. Because a lot of times, I would get my lines and say, "I would never say this," you know, <laughs> if I was actually interviewing somebody. Sure. But they, they, you know, they pour over those lines and are so specific about it. Like if you get one word wrong, the script supervisor comes out and says, uh, "This, it's, it's with, not to," you know, or so whatever. So they're very, very. I mean, you see, you watch people act, and you, 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 they make it look easy. But there's, I mean, there's people all over the place. There's people everywhere. It's very. I find it very challenging, very tough to do. Um. Most of the time is a lot of people. The thing I shot for the movie, the Galifianakis movie, was called Masterminds. It came out a couple months ago. It was just me and the director, and he was really helpful because he wanted me to act like an anchor from the 90s. and <laughs> kind of. He, he kept saying, all right, now do it this way, now do it that way. And do it this. He was great. He was great, but they, uh, they're very particular about all that stuff. So that leads me into the uh, the professional side of things. Well, that's professional too, but the the sportscaster side of things is uh, yeah. you got into this all um, working mostly in news to start or, or sports on news, correct? I did whatever I could get my hands on, to be honest with you. And I just, I was, it's funny because I was at a job fair in Durham representing the Atlantic Coast Conference, but talking to mostly young people trying to get into the business and some on the video and television side and and I was telling them the story about my my very first job. It was back in my hometown after I graduated from Syracuse in the early 90s. I went right back to my hometown because they had a small cable station there. And my first job was part-time sports reporter, master control operator. And back in those days, master control was the physical giant three-quarter inch tapes that you slam into the machines and push a button to change the input. So I did that, you know, and you, you, humble beginnings is what I call it, obviously. A lot of us went that way but then i just kind of worked in various newsrooms doing sports and news and morning shows and you know wrap-up shows weekend wrap-up shows and just getting as many reps as i possibly could and uh it led me through throughout new england and then down to pennsylvania and then to charlotte what was your goal slash path i mean did you go through it thinking i i've got a if I do this, it will get me here. Um, or was it more oh, yeah. getting your hands and on it, any it got me nowhere. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because you, you map it out. You say, well, if I work in central Massachusetts for a while, then I can go to Providence, which I did. And then I can go to Boston or Hartford or whatever. And uh, I had some chances at jobs in Boston and everything, but it never, it never really worked out. And I got my first real full-time job in my mid twenties working as a sports director slash anchor in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, which is actually a decent market. It has its bookended by Philadelphia and Pittsburgh and Baltimore to the South and Washington. So you end up doing a lot of different things and that was a great experience, but I was always trying to get back to Boston and I never really thought that uh, it's tough to get back into play by play. Once you leave it, I did play by play when I was in Worcester um, doing Holy cross basketball and football on TV, which was great. But, uh, I ended up going down to Pennsylvania and as I said, working there for about eight years and I covered everything from pro sports to Penn state football, to high school sports, to you name it. I mean, it was, it was just about everything. 
And then uh, the, the Charlotte Bobcats were coming back into the NBA after Charlotte had lost its original franchise, the Hornets, in the mid-2000s, and they were starting a, an all-24-hour uh, network. So I got a job with them as their lead anchor. And that only lasted about 10 months, but based on the, all the connections that I made and the, the relationships I was able to cultivate, um, here I am, you know, some 12, 13 years later in the same place. Just just working my way up, you know, doing play-by-play in the Southern Conference and the Big South, and then that kind of evolved into the Big Ten and the ACC and the SEC and ESPN and Fox and Raycom Sports and the ACC Network. It's all just kind of built upon it. Uh, you, you know, you you try to get some traction, and sometimes you um, go a span of time wondering what the next job will be, but the last six or seven years, I've been able to to build a pretty good uh, relationship with all those people. I didn't realize you were at uh, Holy Cross going way back. So, uh, what was the yeah Patriot well, League? Yeah. I started in the Patriot League with George Blaney doing <laughs> Holy Cross basketball. George was a head coach. What was the the thought for you? I mean, did you did you graduate from school saying I want to do play by play eventually, um, or was that no? Just... I didn't. No, because I, I couldn't. The guys that I went to school with, you know, were working at the radio, doing the radio station thing and doing all the play-by-play. I couldn't get near any of the play-by-play. Yeah, who'd you go to school with? So I figured, uh, well, the guys around me, like Dave was a couple of years ahead of me, Dave Ryan. Uh, Jason Knapp was a classmate of mine. Um, Ian Eagle was one year ahead of me. Uh, and there were a bunch of other guys, too, that were that have branched off and done different things. Um, Sean McDonough was a few years ahead of me as well, and Mike Tirico. So we were all in that same, you know, five to seven year window, late eighties, early nineties. So there was a very highly skilled guys around me and I, you know, I'm friends with all of them and I know them all in the business, but I couldn't do anything as far as play by play was concerned with our radio stations. So I interned at the uh, NBC affiliate where I met Dave for about two years, almost two years. So I figured I wanted to be a sports anchor. So that's what I was building towards. And that first job happened to have some play-by-play in it too. So I got, at least I had a tape of play-by-play doing basketball and football and high school basketball and college hockey and stuff like that. So when the, when the Bobcats opportunity came around in the mid two thousands and it also involved play-by-play, I was like, great, I want to get back into this. And then once I started doing it, I was like, this is really what I want to do. So I just kind of pursued it that way. Did you guys know then uh, when you're all in school, kind of that, did you did you get a feel that all right this is a bunch of guys that are going to still be going at this at the the highest levels in 25 years? Yeah. It's so funny that the guys that I said I'm going to hopefully run into these guys, you know, be it Sean or Ryan or whatever or Dave or Jason, I I knew that I would see those guys again. Um I didn't know in what capacity I would be in. I knew they would be successful play-by-play people or hosts or what have you. Um, and through the Syracuse connections, you know, I got to meet when I was a junior, sophomore or junior. I took one of the very, I was in one of the very first sports reporting classes at Syracuse official class. And, um, the, the professor was the play by play guy for the chiefs. His name was Joel Moranis. And I don't know where Joel is these days. Um, but he had great connections and guys from the NFL would come talk to us. And Sean came and spoke with us and Bob Costas came in and spoke with us. And this is like 90, 
1990, 1989, 1991 in there. And Sean was nice to me from the very start. And I told him, you know, I was from Massachusetts and so was Sean. And so I've been kind of friends and professional acquaintances and colleagues with, with Sean for, I don't know, what's that, 25 years? And, you know, you just, the way this business works, and as I tell everybody, is uh, networking is a, it's a huge part of it and just knowing the right people sometimes. Sometimes you don't need to know anybody, but a lot of the times you need to know people. So I just kind of kept that going over the last 25 years and I, I see all those guys to this day at various events. And uh, I did a college game this season at Pittsburgh and Ian was there the next day. So uh, the, the folks at Pittsburgh always give us chocolates. <laughs> so I left like a half eaten box, box of chocolates for Ian the next day <laughs> when he came in to do the Steelers NFL game. So stuff like that, you know, I got to do a game at Pitt now. I feel like I'm missing out. <laughs> yeah, it's, oh, it's a, it's a great place to do a game, and I love working in NFL stadiums. College stadiums are great too, but Pitt is one of the one of the nicer places we go to. Dave, when we had him on the podcast, uh, gave us the story of Mike Tarico walking by. I, I guess Dave lived in Marion. I think it was his freshman year, uh, and the story uh. of seeing Mike walk by in his you know various different team you know, sport jackets, one day the Jets, one day the Knicks, what have you, uh, with the briefcase yeah. and the hat every day. And, and any any stories that come to mind about any of those guys uh, from back when you were in college, uh, just what that group was like? Yeah, I. it's mostly from, like, uh, working with Dave is a good example because, and the sports anchor at the time uh, was a guy named Roger Springfield. Um, certain things have happened to him Sure. You know, yeah. going going forward. But while I was there, Dave and Roger and another weekend guy who was there before Dave was named Tony Zarella, and uh, John John Nicholson oh, was yeah. the news anchor, and and Wayne Mahar who's still there. We were all down in this dugout bunker. I don't even know if the station's the same way, but I took all my cues from those guys. You know, and they would have like the briefcases and the sport jackets and everything, and I really just kind of just being around those guys so much, I would work at the station two or three times a week and, and just, just to see what, you know, the travel and covering the big East tournament when it was at Madison square garden. And I didn't go, but I saw the process and the things that they did. And it was, I mean, comparatively speaking, it was pretty primitive. I mean, we had typewriters, five ply paper and, you know, rolling on big three quarter inch tapes. <laughs> so, it was, yeah, it was really primitive when we look back at it. But like I told all those, those young people at the, at the uh, job fair, I was like, if you can put a story together, you've got the foundation to do anything in television, radio, and all the other mediums and, you know, platforms that exist today. When I was, when I was starting, it was basically television uh, and print. That's pretty much it, and affiliate TV for that matter. So, and, and obviously the explosion of the way sports is covered now is a whole different ball game. Um, but, but really, it was just taking my cues from those guys, uh, my fellow students. You know, we all just wanted to, to um, experience the social aspects of things, to sure. put it mildly. Sure. Uh, <laughs> but, but it was a good mix, as you know. Circus is just a great complement of, you know academic advantages you can take part in, but also the social aspects as well. 
So I, I really, I had such a great time and learned so much. And I love it when I have a chance, you know, they're with now that they're in the ACC and have been for the past few years, when Let's I get a back. chance to go back to campus and yeah, when I get a chance to go back to campus and do something, I just, I always build in a, at least a walk around campus, regardless of what the temperature is <laughs> and just, uh, just, just look around, you know, just, just take it all in. Cause I, I, there are times where I wish I was back there. You know, the, the system that they have there that teaches you how to do play by play obviously is, is great in its own right. Um, but as your career progressed, how did you learn how to call games at the level that you do now? Uh, and particularly on TV, because that wasn't, you know, it wasn't even a thing when I was there, uh, calling games on TV as a student. Um, so how did you, uh, learn to do what you do now, um, and be comfortable with it? You know, what's funny is that there's, there's very few people, I don't know whether the secret, they feel that their secrets need to be guarded or, or how it works. Um, but there are very few people who will offer you help per se. Um, it's it's a weird thing, and maybe you've experienced it too. I, I don't feel that way at all. I'm I'm willing to help anybody at any time because I just think that I did have people who helped me, and there are various people along the way, especially with play by play. It's just different because everybody does it a little bit differently. But I remember my my really one of my first experiences was that I was getting a chance to call a college hockey game, which to me, it being from New England, was a very big deal. And so I, I got in touch with the Boston Bruins announcer and I said, Hey, can I come observe you and just see how you do it? And this guy was legendary. Uh, folks from New England would know the name Fred Cusick. And he oh called yeah. The Bruins games for over, he called the Bruins games for over 40 years. And he, he said to me, yeah, sure. Come on. So I sat next to him at the old Boston garden and, uh, Derek Sanderson, was the analyst and we the three of us sat around and talked for a good half an hour beforehand and so you just kind of take bits and pieces from people and refine your stuff as you go along and it gets it gets more complex because the more games you do you start to figure out i needed that nugget for that conversation to tie it all in and play off the back end of what the analyst said or that kind of thing so that just kind of gradually comes along but we play by play you can, if, the more reps you get you can rapidly improve just by, I mean, I watch stuff from just a couple of years ago and say, well, you know, stuff I just did the other day is a lot better. I was better prepared for this situation. I didn't, you know, I, I kept quiet in this instance and, you know, just kind of sat back and watched. And it's really, I, I know it's maybe overstating it a little bit, but I feel it's such, it's almost an art form and a craft when you do it properly, especially on TV. Because when you, when somebody maybe is not quite as experienced and doesn't understand the nuance of it, which I'm, I'm, believe me, I'm still, still learning stuff every time I put the headset on, but you can tell the difference um, of somebody who's, who's polished and who's done it a million times. And when you put the things side by side, it's easy to see, but I watch all the guy, all the names that I mentioned to you, I watch all their work and we go, you know, we've compared stuff and gone back and forth and, but I've kind of built my own systems as far as football and basketball and Olympic sports are concerned. But, uh, but everything I think has a common thread to it. And uh, I was lucky that people were willing to share some things with me. You know, one of the critiques I just got, uh, having sent something out to somebody was, uh, and I've only done TV for like a year and a half, um, was to stop thinking. Like they could hear me thinking of what I was going to say and what to say and what not to say. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. And, and like I, I made the analogy, like to me, it seemed like, you know, you, you talk about, you know, if you're shooting free throws, or if you're a base, you know, if you're a hitter in the batter's box, the second you start thinking yeah. about your form, you're done. Uh, just go right. swing the bat. Uh, how long did it take you to just go swing the bat? <laughs> there are times, you know, it really depends on the material sometimes. But if it's something that you, you've been immersed in, like, say, ACC basketball, for instance, like I feel like there are times when I could just, you know, expound on its virtues just, on a, just from one question. And so there are times where it's like that, but there are other times where you're trying to react to information that you're getting as far as, you know, statistics and this and that, and you're trying to get everything in and all of that. So it goes back and forth. But the, I think the more immersed in the material that you've been working with you are, the easier it is to not feel like you have to think about it a lot. But I, you know, there's still, there are definitely times when I go on and the, you've got a couple of, specific things that you need to say and you want to make sure you do it right. Um, but what I told a lot of the people at that job fair as I, as I continue to reference that was that maybe, maybe drop a couple of things so that you're not so bound to that material and you can feel like you can just kind of move around a little more freely, not being bogged down by every single number and stat. Um, where you could just drop a couple in that are pertinent and then expound on those. Uh, I know it's kind of a roundabout answer, but there, there's, there are certainly times when you feel like you're, you know, just playing an instrument and you're just riffing like jazz music or something. And that's really great when you can get, when you can get to that comfort level, it takes a really long time of doing 10 second standups and hosting shows and, you know, whatever. That's why I told the, the students and the people at that job fair, like, just get your hand on whatever you can, because the more you do it, the more comfortable you're going to be with your surroundings and your settings. Like, but, but for me, the biggest challenge is hosting shows. And I'll be hosting the ACC basketball tournament for Raycom Sports and the ACC Network coming up in a couple of weeks. And those are really quick little uh, setups with myself and an analyst. And so to keep that moving but do it in a concise way that people can digest and absorb is, is, is tough, tough to do. And I find it challenging. I want to ask you about a sport in particular, uh, cause we've had, you know, we, we talked bowling at length with Dave and we've done, uh, you know, we've, yeah. <laughs> we, we've, we've talked curling with Jason. We had Jason Knapp on, uh, several episodes ago. Yep. Uh, we've never talked golf play by play with anybody. Uh, and I know, <laughs> I, I know you do PGA tour radio. Uh, how do you do golf play by play on radio? Uh, what's important? What do you say? Obviously, you can't raise your voice, uh, so there's that that uh, hitch thrown in there as well. Uh, give me the lowdown on how you call golf on radio. So the only play-by-play I've ever done on radio of any sport is golf. <laughs> and I was driving in my car. I was. It's, it's so ironic. I was driving in my car maybe I don't know five or six years ago, and I had Sirius Radio, and I came across. I heard it for the first time. And this is the only time I've ever done this where I said, hey, that looks like fun or it sounds like fun. And I said, let me let me make some phone calls and see what happens. So, you you know, one person passes you off to the next. But it's really I think it really anything comes down to your initiative and what lengths you're willing to go to to get in front of somebody or to be in consideration for something. 
So what happened was this guy said to me eventually, the guy at the PGA Tour, because the radio the radio arm is underneath the broadcasting uh, entity of the PGA Tour. So he said to me, "Well, if you're really interested, go you know go down to Atlanta and uh, take a tape recorder from our tent. They have various recorders that you can use." And because uh, he knew of my television work, but obviously the golf is a foreign animal to anybody, especially on the radio. So he said, take a recorder and, you know, record a few shots and I'll get back to you. And so I went and did it. I drove down to Atlanta from, from Charlotte, which was not too bad. And uh, I sent him the recordings and he said, great. Can you go to Pebble Beach in February? <laughs> like, okay. So it was really kind of a lucky thing. Now I, I have a background in golf. I know the game. I, uh, I've worked on the PGA tour in various capacities before I've been a caddy at a professional event. I, I play as much as I can. So I had that, I had a little bit of background, but certainly my calls from the from five years ago to now are, are obviously much better. And that's going to happen no matter what you do. But, <clears throat> but I just, I, I was thrown right in at Pebble beach as my very first assignment. And I've done eight to 10 tournaments a summer since then. And it's exactly what you think it would be. You, Tell me what the ball is doing. And it, no detail is, is off limits. You know, if any detail you could possibly think of, and usually I'll, you know, conditions, um, hole, hole placement, what the guy's wearing, what club he's got, if we have that information, yardages. And you try to get it all in there in a, in a short little burst of about 20 to 25 seconds. It's really fun. I really enjoy it going to PGA events and being in those circles and meeting those people. And 99.9% and of professional golfers are just that they are complete professionals. And you could ask them, you know, what they thought about uh, the sky being blue today. And they would give you a good answer to that question. <laughs> so it's, it's been a great experience and it's really, it's really fun to do, especially on a Sunday when you've got a guy who's making a charge. Cause we go out and follow various players. But if you're, you know, maybe a guy you've been following all week and he's it's Sunday and he's making his move and it's really it's really kind of exciting. And so we have to we have to extend that in our in the uh, the volume and level of our of our calls. And you're right. It's proxemics involved where you need to be far enough away where they can't hear you, but close enough where you can see what the ball is doing, you know, what it's doing on the green or the shot or that kind of thing. Have you ever gotten? So it's really. I. uh there was one time that comes to mind where I was, I thought I was far enough away and Bubba Watson uh, shot me a, a glance at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. And the problem was it was late on like a Thursday or Friday. So the crowd was sparse. It's actually better when there's a lot of people because you've got that murmur and you know, there's a lot of people you can blame it on. And there's a lot of people you can hide behind too. But it was just me and the kind of up in the bleachers and, and Bubba looked up and I'm telling you, I sent it back to the studio and I got the heck out of there. I just, <laughs> I just, I just bolted. I was like, I don't even want to look. So, but that was really the only thing I, I'm very over cautious when it comes to that. What's it like? Uh, I mean, I, I, are you assigned a golfer? Like, do you, do you follow, you know, Tom, you've got Dustin you Johnson today, and and then how do you keep track of what yeah. else is going on? And obviously, I, I imagine you're listening to the the total coverage, but you're seeing such yeah. a small snippet of a greater picture that you need to to weave into. That's true, and um, 
a lot of times you're so engrossed in what you're doing. Somebody will ask you who's leading and you've got no idea <laughs> because you're worried about the guys that you have. It's funny, especially on Thursday and Friday, Saturday, Sunday, everybody knows who's leading, but, uh, the way it works is that they, you get assigned a group on Thursday and Friday, and it's usually marquee players that are in the group. There's two other announcers that are also on the ground with you. And so you, you do the marquee players or somebody who's having a great round, and you have they, they issue you a cart so you can buzz around the course because there's no way you could do it without, without having a cart because things change so quickly. You can be with a guy, honestly, for one shot sometimes. I've gone to players – you know, this guy, he's, uh, he just made five birdies in a row. Go pick him up on the 16th hole. And I get there and he hits his second shot in the water and you're, and that's it. You're done. You go back to, you know, you can go back to whoever else, but then on the weekend, it's usually the leaders and whoever's making a move up the leaderboard on Saturday or Sunday. But the only thing that is the, the only drawback from that job. Now it's a long shift. It's six hours, but, um, the only true drawback is when it rains. It becomes, it goes from being the greatest job in the world to being the worst job in the world because it's hard to keep everything dry and get around. And it's usually cold. The company's rain too. So, but that is the only thing that, that can become an issue. But you should, I mean, these professionals handle rain like it's nothing. I think they like it better because it makes the conditions softer, obviously, for them to dial in their yardages. I honestly think that they prefer it sometimes when it's raining. Interesting. But that's the only thing. Otherwise, it's it's a it's so much fun. It really is, and the and the the crowds love it. And you know, when you're able to mix in the, a big crowd involvement and a and a marquee player into your call, and it's a Sunday, and all things, all kinds of great things are happening. The leaderboard is changing. It's really really a fun environment. The other thing I wanted to ask you about that is a a particular event that you've been involved with was the team stream. Uh, and yes, and what it's like to do that uh, in two different respects. Number one, where you get to do a homer broadcast for just a, a random team, because I know you did Duke first, uh, and then what it's like to do a, a homer broadcast for your alma mater, and the approach that you take into into both of those different uh, games. Yeah, so the team stream, I I want to say when I did it two years ago, when Duke was in it. Was in it was still in its infancy, which it, I think it had only been done a couple of years prior to me getting involved with Turner Sports, and I did Duke through my ACC connections, so I was tied to them, and I was certainly pulling for them in their in that team stream. Um, but it wasn't quite the same as Syracuse, because you know I'd gone to every single basketball game in the dome that I could possibly make while I was a student there, and you know, obviously keep an eye on those guys, all sports for that matter. But they gave us a, each year the team stream existed. They gave us a little more latitude each year, you know, to question officials, to get involved as a, as a fan, watching it on TV in your living room with how, how you might react that way. And I told um, our executive producer, his name is Rodney Triplett. And he said, really, you know, check your, objectivity at the door. We want you to go. You can't be extreme enough. And I told him, I said, you know, Rodney, I don't think it's going to be a problem for me with the Syracuse <laughs> team stream because I had already lost my mind over the other games that they had played and the regional final against Virginia. Cause think about it for me, not only did I want them to get to the final four when no one else thought they maybe even deserved to be in the tournament for that matter. 
But and, and this is nothing against Virginia because I do Virginia games and I, I that program is a fantastic program. Tony Bennett is great. But I knew that if Syracuse wins, I already knew that if they win, I'm going to the Final Four to call their national semifinal game. So I was pulling for them. But on the other hand, had Virginia gone, there's a very good chance that I would have done the team stream for Virginia through the ACC connection. So, but I had certainly um, rooted very spiritedly for Syracuse in that regional final. And they made an amazing comeback, as we all know. And, you know, Tony Bennett doesn't lose double-digit leads in the second half. At least he hadn't prior to the game against Syracuse. So anyway, so I, that was all on the line. And then when I knew I was going to be doing their game, obviously I was just, I was really out of my mind, excited, you know. And everything that happened in the team stream, the Syracuse team stream, and we got good comments and we got bad comments. And it, we, we welcome all, all that feedback because some people maybe didn't understand exactly what we were trying to do and heard me and Roosevelt Bowie and Donovan McNabb <laughs> kind of really excited about Syracuse and not so much. North Carolina, but, um, we got some great feedback. Um, we did what we were asked to do for Turner and it was all completely organic. I didn't realize, I don't know if you've seen any of it, but I didn't realize that I would take it to such lengths. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, did the, you know, did the Mr. Carolina my, thing just kind of come out? Uh, yeah, yeah, it did. <laughs> it was all organic. It was all completely organic. And I, I was just, it was all in the spirit of the team stream and having fun and saying what you would say if you were sitting in your living room watching the game as a Syracuse fan, you know, I, I'm almost certain everybody reacted to that cutaway the same way I did, <laughs> except they weren't being watched by 20 million people. So, <laughs> so, but, um, but it was a, really a lot of fun and everybody, you know, <clears throat> had their own opinions about it, but I will just say that it was just, it was just an organic thing. And I was given that latitude and I took advantage of it. And it was one of the most, uh, you know, exciting, fun things I've been able, able to do ever in broadcast. Did you prep for it differently? Um, and how was your mindset different knowing that you could go a little crazy where you wouldn't normally do that in a regular game? <laughs> yeah. You know, if, if you know me, people who know me know that I'm not, a very excitable person, except when it comes to my team in a, in a sporting event. That's, you know, I, I'm, I'm from New England originally, so obviously the Super Bowl success over the last few years, that's an example of it. But um, the preparation was completely different. I, you know, I knew I had done North Carolina games during the course of the season, so I had some notes on them. But really it was the basics about – Roy Williams and the North Carolina program and what they had been able to accomplish with national championships with Roy as head coach and winning the ACC tournament, obviously last year, but otherwise it was all, all Syracuse. I mean, I used most of the time, you know, you've done play by play. You don't use 80% of what you prepare for. Sure. I used almost every single thing I had for the Syracuse broadcast because it was so one-sided. So I talked about the history of the school and the national championship from 03 and all the great names that have played. And, you know, we were able to weave all that in, in addition to the fact that they were starting to make a comeback again in the second half. And that's when I really just thought, can this happen again for these guys? You know, 
ultimately it didn't, but the potential was there and, uh, I was into it, put it that way. Obviously, uh, I, I know where the, the, the paychecks are coming from, so I, I sense where this answer would go. But uh, your thoughts on how those team streams kind of have been received, uh, the thoughts of, um, I guess, the networks and how they've, how they've liked them and, and kind of the future of that style of broadcasting. Um, I would imagine it's something that's probably here to stay. I would, I would love to see it continue. I mean, it's, it's you know, just another option for folks. I mean, we had, it was, I, I was sitting courtside at, uh, well, Lucas Oil Stadium for the Duke game, the semifinals. And then the following year at NRG Stadium in Houston. And I looked to my left and the CBS broadcast. And further down was the, the other team stream. I mean, we were right right there. Okay, was, that's what uh, I was curious. So you're, was, you're on press. Yeah, we're court. all right there, courtside, yeah. Uh, Jim Nance was a couple seats away from me one way. Um, the folks at ESPN would do the international feed the other direction. And then uh, our colleagues who were doing the other team's team stream a little bit further down. But it was, uh, you know, you're right in the middle of everything. And I would hope it would continue because it it's just an option for people. And I think people who are fans of the teams, you know, really like it. And even if you're not, it just it, it evokes the emotion that sports is all about. And there's nothing, there's nothing ever wrong with that. Now. Had I been two seats down calling the game for CBS or the national championship game was on TBS last year. Um, obviously I would approach it much differently. Um, because when I do games in the ACC, I, I honestly do not, when I'm, when I'm calling the game for the ACC network or for Raycom sports or for ESPN or Fox, honestly, I don't, I don't care who wins the game. I just want both teams to put, put a great effort out there and make it entertaining for the viewers. Now, when you tell me that I'm the team stream announcer for Syracuse, that's a different story. And I approached it that way. So I would hope it would continue. And it, it's, people seem to like it or not like it. But in this day and age, as far as social media and all that's concerned, I mean, attention and eyeballs and clicks and all that stuff, you know, that's, that's, that's something that I don't necessarily completely pay attention to. But that's the way things are going. And uh, I think people liked it for the most part. You know, we had Lisa Byington on the the podcast from Big Ten Network, um, who did the I game. I worked with Lisa before on oh, yeah, a couple yeah. things. Um, yeah, who she did the game on Fox, where on Fox Sports One, where they mic'd up both coaches in a women's basketball game, um, and took no breaks yeah. and went inside the huddle and all that kind of stuff. Um, what's kind of your thoughts on? And I guess if I can lump, you know, that kind of a deal in with Team Stream and in with the different you know, ways that they'll cover national championship games where they have, you can watch coaches yeah. watching the game. Um, what do you kind of think is, is next or what, what would interest you as a broadcaster and as a sports fan as other kind of innovative ways uh, to attack what we do in terms of calling games on TV? Yeah, I like the coaches stuff, but, but obviously, you know, you want, I mean, I understand that sports is very emotional at times and coaches are, you know, that they are just immersed in their, particular situation so we work as most of the games that i do we're working in partnership with the conferences and with the schools and we want to certainly present them in the best possible light so i don't i mean i it's great to hear coaches and what they're saying to their teams and all that stuff but only to a certain degree i think um because you you can you can take the viewer in and give them a little bit different perspective but we would never i mean you know and, Certainly, emotion plays a, a huge part in it, and you know sometimes things 
you know, players and coaches get heated with one another and there are situations along those lines. And, you know, we would never present that kind of thing. We're just trying to give you a little insight as far as game plan and yeah. encouraging things that they would say. And, and believe and 95% of it that I've ever heard has always been a hundred percent, you know, very encouraging, especially at the collegiate level. And the coaches that I deal with at the collegiate level are just, just tremendous. Cause they have so many people pulling on them and wanting things from them all the time, which is, that's part of the, that's part of the job. So I don't know how far we need to go as far as that's concerned. Um, but I think the presentation of, of sporting events now is just incredible with all the different camera angles and the amount of cameras and the graphics and the flash and the, you know, the bells and whistles and everything. I mean, it's real. I think it's more, you go in that direction as far as production value just keeps going up and up and up. And, you know, like I said before, the announcer job to keep it entertaining, involve the analysts, but not be in the way, you know, let, let people absorb the game. Like, like last night, um, which was when Syracuse won on the last second shot um, against Duke. <laughs> I'm sure you saw that. Oh, yeah. With, uh, with John, John Gillen's shot just being on the three-point line and banking it in and all that. And that's just the moment where if I was, if I were supposed to be calling that game, you, I mean, as soon as he lets it go, you're done. You know, you, cause, because it's just the frenzy and the craziness of, of everything that's happened. So I think the presentation of sports right now is great. Where is it going next? I hope it doesn't go too far as far as uh, maybe crossing a, a line into the world of the athletes and the coaches, which is part of that that needs to be just between them, I think. Well, Tom, uh, I've taken enough of your time, so I don't want to uh, go too much longer with you. No, I love uh, I love talking about it. I, <laughs> I really do, and I, I encourage everybody who's who's in it to uh, to just do as much as they possibly can and just and stick with it because it's a changing medium. Every day is something new, and the more reps you get at it, the better you can become. And I've just been lucky to have a lot of good people help me out along the way. I was say, if people wanted to get in touch with you or find you on social media, find you on the dial. Um... Where do they where do they go to find Tom Wormy? Uh, at T Wormy on Twitter. That's easy. At T W E R M E. Good deal. Tom Wormy is our guest here on Play by Play Cast. Many thanks to him for sitting down uh, here and doing this with us. Uh, we taped that interview a couple of weeks ago, so at this point he probably thinks I'm some sort of fraudulent jamoke who uh, <laughs> who just stole forty minutes of his time and then didn't actually air it, but. Uh, Tom, you are now a guest on the podcast, so many thanks to Tom for uh, for sitting down here. I thought the end of that conversation was was interesting. Uh, well, I thought the whole thing was interesting, but I wanted to touch on the ending of it because I'm kind of an old fogey. Um, you, you know, I talked about John Anderson at the beginning of this podcast, and when I heard John talk yesterday, he talked. He's not on social media. You know, he likes to read the old physical, like tactile, hold a newspaper in your hand. Uh, and I'm kind of that way when it comes to consumption of my media. Uh, you know, I, I like an actual newspaper. When we're on the road with basketball, I always get the newspaper at the hotel. Uh, I don't have a Netflix account. Um, you know, I I like that. You know, I'm, I'm a pretty progressive person in, in certain ways, but like I'm very conservative in that, uh, in, in the ways that I consume my media. Um, I, I, I like SportsCenter 
the way it used to be when like you would get like a three minute highlight of a game and then the all you got was three minute highlights of games like before there was analysis and all that kind of stuff i just i i'm a, I'm a throwback in terms of media consumption and it's not that i'm averse to different things but i i think it's interesting the different ways that people are approaching and attacking broadcasting live events over the last several years uh, the team stream is is part of that. Uh, we talked about it with Lisa Byington a couple of weeks ago with the miking up of the coaches and not taking breaks and just going inside the huddle uh, during timeouts. Uh, I think the way that they do national championship games where you can watch like all eight camera angles all at the same time or you can watch people watching the game, watch coaches watching the game, watch analysts watching the game. Like, I'm just very old school. I just want to watch the game in some respects. Uh, the team stream stuff I think is really intriguing though. Because it, it's like watching, it's like it's like watching the game with the TV turned down and the radio turned on, except that they do that for you. You know, it's getting the Homer perspective on television, which I do think is really interesting, and I think Team Stream is cool in that regard. Um, I'm just like a, I'm a weird traditionalist when it comes to the way I consume my media. Um, maybe that's a bad thing. Maybe that means I'm like I'm gonna be left behind at some point. Uh, hopefully not, but. Uh, I think it's interesting to see where the industry is going to go in regards to that kind of stuff going forward and kind of where the line is and how it gets crossed, if it gets crossed, and how it gets blurred as far as what people consider in terms of broadcasting live events and then how accepting people become of it. Uh, I mean, if you remember, like, I think it was last year where there was a... Michigan was in it, I believe. There was a college basketball game on ESPN where they showed the entire thing from court level. Like, the entire thing was shot from a mid-court camera as the main angle instead of a, 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 a high cam, uh, which I thought was different, interesting, and just ways that games are presented. Uh, people like to push that envelope, and I'm very curious to see how that envelope gets pushed, which directions it gets pushed, and how it's always received. So, uh, cool to get Tom's perspective uh, as a guy that's part of the team stream aspect of it on that side of uh, where sports media is going. That being said, though, we are out of time here today. Although it's a podcast, we're never really out of time. We're out of time when I have nothing else to talk about. So we'll take a, take a, a seven-day hiatus. Back with it next Friday morning, Michael Regai will be our guest. Had the chance to sit down with Regai at the Mid-American Conference basketball tournament a couple of weeks ago. We literally closed down Quicken Loans Arena in Cleveland. Uh, the security, and it, I'll, I'm leaving it in the interview, security literally kicks us out of the arena because it's like 1 in the morning uh, after the semifinals. After the semifinals? After the quarterfinals when we tape this interview. Uh, but Michael Regai, uh, formerly the voice of the Cavaliers and the Baltimore Orioles, does a lot of stuff for a lot of different outlets um, in a lot of different sports. So uh, Michael Regai is our guest here on the podcast next week. Looking forward to that one. Hope you enjoyed this one. And if, if you've never heard any of the 40 previous episodes, uh, they are all archived for you. So scroll on back and find your favorite ones uh, throughout the entire course of uh, the podcast's nearly year existence. Many thanks as always. Marshmallow's playing us out. We'll talk to you next week on Play by Playcast. We're out. <laughs>